Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Forrest Bryant. Dr. Forrest Bryant is the CEO of the High Speed Alliance, a registered investment advisory. He's a former dentist and successful business owner. He now provides investment advice, business consulting, and financial planning for high net worth clients all across the U.S. He joins us today on the Financial Flossing Podcast. Forrest, thanks for coming on. Hey, Ross, thank you for having me. I'm uh, excited about doing this. Uh, you're you're one of my favorites to talk about. We always have some really good conversations. So uh, some of that's behind the curtain and not in front of clients. And uh, so we'll see what you want to talk about uh, out on the on the public line today. Well, I appreciate that very much. And for those of you who, who don't know, Forrest and I, um, we've known each other about five years now. And uh, his college roommate is a friend of mine. And we met after uh, Forrest had a little bit of a pivot in life. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But Forrest, can I tell us your background? Kind of what's your story? You're a former dentist. How did you become a dentist? Tell us all about that. Oh, man. Uh, I, you know, I don't I don't like to talk about myself a whole lot. <laughs> this is painful. But uh, so I don't know how far back we want to go. Uh, actually, in eighth grade, I actually did my career fair on dentistry. I thought we oh, had wow. a family friend and uh, I was just always fascinated with dentistry. Kind of lost my way. I thought I might want to, uh, you know, I was, I've always been, you know, one of those type A personalities that I always, I love a good challenge. And, um, you know, when I went to college, you know, just thought about what's, what's the hardest thing to do. And, you know, I think the hardest thing uh, that was out there for me was, uh, it was really space and being an astronaut. So I actually started college in aerospace engineering. And I, that was kind of what I thought I was going to do. And, um, you know, that was back in the early nineties. And I had a couple of good friends that had just graduated in aerospace engineering and they couldn't get a job. And I said, well, gosh, I'm not going to spend four or five years doing this really super hard major and not be able to get a job. So I, I changed to environmental engineering and I did that for a little while and, and co-opt with uh, EPA actually in Montgomery. Alabama. And um, I got to see what uh, what engineers actually did. And that usually involves sitting behind a desk and, you know, punching away on the on the on the computer all day long. And I, that, I was just really too much of a people person to, you know, sit behind a desk all day long. So I kind of went back to you know, eighth grade, my, uh, you know, my dream of, of being a dentist. So, uh, you know, changed my major into uh, pre-med, pre-dent and um, kind of started that process. And Went to UAB Dental School and uh, had a great time there. We had some great professors and uh, some really great classmates. A lot of those are still some of my very good friends and clients now. And, you know, went to, uh, got married and went to a little town, Decatur, Alabama, up in uh, North Alabama and uh, went into business as an employee and uh, worked my way up to partner and, uh, def- and to um, ownership 
of that business and also real estate, which I'm sure we'll come back and talk a little bit about that later on. But everything, uh, we really had a, uh, we had a great business and we really scaled it up and we did a lot of, took care of our patients. Uh, you know, one thing, there's a lot of overlap, I think, between, you know, medicine and dentistry and really, um, you know, being a fiduciary for your clients, for their health and wellness and, you know, making sure that, you know, you're always doing the right thing for them that translates into financial planning and wealth management now where, you know, we're still a fiduciary. We're still trying to do everything that we can and putting clients' needs above ours. So there's you know some things that that overlap there, but so you started out as an associate and worked your way up, became a partner, and then eventually bought bought the owner out. Correct. Yep. Yep. Okay. So was that a challenge? I mean, most people coming out of dental school can't don't start up just from scratch practice. Talk about the challenge. I mean, how hard was it to go from associate to partner to buying him out? Uh, you know, it's interesting. Like going back. My plan was I knew I wanted to be an owner and I had done a lot of research really on looking, even in dental school, looking to buy practices. I knew I wanted to, I knew the leverage and the speed of buying a practice was much better in that environment than creating one from scratch. So I knew I didn't want to start from scratch. I knew I wanted to buy a practice. And so you know, looking at uh, a, a lot of, at, you know, my dad was in the Marine Corps, so I was kind of a, got to move around Marine Corps family and I didn't really have a hometown, you know, I wanted to, wanted to go back to. So Carol was, uh, my wife was from a little small town, Decatur, Alabama, and uh, we looked all over the place. We looked at a lot of big cities and fun places to live and um, turned out that um, through some connections I had at the dental school, that this practice in her hometown was one of the best opportunities there. So I knew it was an older dentist and I knew I would be able to buy that practice down the road, but I had to do my time. I had to start off as an employee, you know, going back is funny. My first year, I think I made, I think I made $42,000 my first year working, coming out of, coming out of uh, dental school. And um, it was a little bit of just kind of like, you know, the grind and doing your time. It was like, I know it's a great practice and I knew it would be a good thing for me to do, but what year year was that? 42,000, what year? That was 97. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that, and that was like all of my classmates were making double that or more. So I knew, but you know, I think one thing uh, and I, and Ross, you might have to help me here just so I know, I like to know who my audience is. I don't know who all listens to you. I don't know if, I don't know if there's a lot of doctors or dentists or just. Well, it's, it's mostly dentists. So, so, well, I, you know, I think the thing is to have a long-term vision. Like I knew I wanted to be a practice owner and I knew that I had to do my time. I, I needed, I needed a mentor. I needed somebody who'd been very experienced and I was willing to learn and I was willing to work as a W2 to have that mentorship to learn and to, and to hopefully have the opportunity to buy that practice down the road. So, you know, there were some other ways that I could have gone, but I felt like that was the best way for me to minimize my risk and maximize my return in that business environment. So I was willing to put in the time and learn and have a really great mentor. So how many years were you a W-2? So I was a W-2, I think for a year, and then I was a 1099 for probably another year. And then I bought in, I think okay. a third of the practice uh, at first, he was two third and I was uh, one third for about a year. And then I bought another sixth of the practice. So then we were 50-50 partners and we practiced that way for about another seven or eight years together as partners. And then you bought him out all the way. 
So correct. We got to a point, the, uh, the, the coaching and consulting we were getting at that time was really on the partnership model. So in the partnership model, you know, uh, you have a, a single owner and then you bring on two owners and then you grow it and then you bring on a third owner to, you know, grow it up even even higher and then you bring on a fourth. And so it's just, you keep adding partners as the thing grows. And um, I can remember, I was a little hesitant because, uh, I mean, I've seen, uh, you know, a lot of horror stories when you get too many chiefs in the kitchen, too many cooks in the kitchen or, you know, too many chiefs trying to call the shots when you get like this really big convoluted ownership model. And um, I got to a point where we were actively looking for that third partner. And I was talking with one of the business coaches at the time that was that was mentoring me. And I remember he asked me a very important question. He said, if this is a good deal for somebody else to buy into your practice, would it be a good deal for you to buy your partner out and have 100% ownership? And I was like, Ding, ding, ding. That's, yeah, that's that's it. So and so I, it, that, that was just I mean, it was so crystal clear for me. Uh, that was Bill Blatchford. Thanks, Bill, if you're listening <laughs> for helping me there. Changed my trajectory because at that point I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want another partner. I want to own this thing. I want to have control. So I ended up buying out uh, my senior partner. And um, what year was this roughly? That was probably 2002. Some or no, no, probably four, 2004. So 2004, you're now the sole 100% owner of the practice. Right. And so you live in Decatur. Your office is in Huntsville, Alabama, which is... No, we were still in... Uh, okay, we were so living in Decatur. in Decatur. We lived in Decatur and had the Decatur practice. And so kind of, you know, once that kind of happened, we started a couple other practices. We started a practice in Huntsville and we, and we, uh, we kind of acquired a practice in Madison as well. So uh, really over that time, we ended up having multiple locations, had three locations and got into the you know, really, I think one of the things that really helped me scale the business was uh, knowing that, you know, studying business and knowing that I wanted to be the executive of the practice. I didn't want to be the guy who was doing all of the work every day. I wanted to treat it as a business and I wanted I wanted to scale the business. So, you know, when you're trading, you know, time for dollars, if you're a dentist and you're sitting at the chair, or if you're a medical doctor and you're, and you're operating, uh, you know, there's only a certain amount of time that you can spend doing that. And that's what you get paid to do. So, you know, ultimately, in order to really scale the business, you got to have more providers, you got to have more doctors. Doctors, you got to have more hygienists. You have to have more locations. So, so you, with three locations, how many associates did you have working for you? Probably at any one time, probably five to six. So you truly, and you know, you and I both work with a lot of dentists. And what I say to a lot of people is, there are a lot of dentists out there who basically own a job. You know, they might make two fifty, three hundred, great living, but. They're a one-person practice, and, and they really own a job. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's just what they are. Then you and I also know some people who are making substantially more than that. And the difference is they are kind of the business owner who just happens to be a dentist. And so for you, you had that mindset where you're like, okay, I'm going to create a business here. I've got three offices. I've got five associates you might sit in the chair a little bit every now and then, but you're really running a practice in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would encourage your listeners if they haven't seen the uh, Robert Kiyosaki quadrants uh, that is, and I didn't know that at the time, but that's exactly, that was my path. So I went from being an employee and, you know, working time for dollars to moving up to 
the uh, self-employed where I owned the business, but the business was, you know, totally dependent on me and, 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 and what I could produce to, you know, moving into the, the business owner quadrant where you act, you have other, you know, you have a real business, you can actually take off, the business can continue to run because you've got, you know, additional providers and the business can run without the effort of the business owner 100%, you know, to finally, the fourth quadrant is the investor quadrant. So that's when you're investing your capital and you are more uh, the executive and you're getting to make decisions on investments and investing into businesses. And you're truly a CEO where, you know, like, you know, I run multiple businesses now and um, I have a really great team in place. So, you know, that's where as you kind of move up through those, you know, quadrants, you know, you get to, you know, to the highest level where you're doing what only you can do and you hire everything else. So I was mm. talking with a young entrepreneur yesterday and, you know, that was one of the things that I was really trying to impart to him, you know, for young entrepreneurs out there, you shouldn't be going and picking up your laundry. You shouldn't be, you know, run, running to the bank. You shouldn't be, you know, running errands. You shouldn't be mowing your grass, uh, you know, during the week and spending four hours doing that, unless that like is therapy for you. And that's something that you like to do. But, you know, you should really get to a point where you're doing and you're you're making the big decisions about really elevating your your business and your practice and taking it to the next level and not being you know the worker in the practice. Yeah, that book, Cashflow Quadrant by Rick, Robert Kiyosaki, it's a must read if, for anyone listening who hasn't read it. It's probably 15, 16 years old, if not older, but it, it's a classic. So things are going well, you're crushing it for all intents and purposes, and then life hits you, punches you in the mouth. Talk about that. Yeah, so uh, so I had a uh, had kind of a crazy incident where I was actually uh, I was operating and um, I tore some ligaments and tendons in my elbow, and uh, that kind of just absolutely changed my future at that time, where I ended up having multiple surgeries to try to correct the damage. I ended up with nerve damage uh, in that hand afterwards it, it never would quite work right and then i ended up having kind of a an autoimmune spiral that kind of generated out of that where i ended up having um, a rare neuropathy called mmn multifocal motor neuropathy which affected uh, both of my hands and my feet with peripheral neuropathy which affects the motor and the and the sensory nerve so uh, going through that process and going through multiple surgeries over several years and lots of physical therapy and it really left me at a place where I was no longer able to practice dentistry so I, fortunately I feel when I tell the story I, you know I, I feel so blessed that not only did I have good, financial planning in place. Uh, and I know that's one thing that you counsel a lot of your, your doctors and dentist clients. Um, I call it, I call it the trifecta, you know, making your making, you know, securing your income from a disability insurance standpoint. And, and that really, for me is, you know, maxing out your individual disability, that's group long-term disability, and that's also business overhead expense. So fortunately, I had good advice going into that, and I had all three of those in place. And so I, I think there's a very, very small percentage of doctors and dentists that are business owners that actually have all three of those in place. So that's one of the things Ross and I work very closely with a lot of our clients. Ross, you do a great job. We appreciate that in working together for our clients in ICB Alliance. So we have about 80 clients that are doctors and dentists all around the U.S. And Ross works with most of those. And that's one of the 
frontline things that we try to do. And we've actually had some situations, we won't go into that, but uh, we've, you know, uh, in the uh, over four years that you know, we've been doing this together, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, some issues come up where our doctors and dentists have needed that coverage. So it's one of the things that you have to have it in place. You have to, you guys spend so much time, effort, knowledge. You've got some tremendous skills. And, you know, if you have to protect that and you have to ensure that income. So, you know, not only, you know, getting into, you know, life insurance and we can certainly have, we can go deep there because Ross and I love to talk about that as well. And we can make it fun, but I definitely would encourage anybody that's listening to this to make sure, talk to Ross, make sure that you have all three of those in place. And if you don't, you really need to step it up. And another, let me just say this real quick, just while we're on that. I, one of the big things I see for a lot of our clients is they get, they come out of medical school or dental school and they get an individual disability policy and they think they're good. And so a lot of times those guys come out and, you know, they might have a, you know, they might start at, you know, 150000 dollars $250,000 in income at that point. And they think they're good. And then, you know, I see a lot of clients that they get an income, you know, some of these guys are making seven fifty dollars to a million dollars a year and they haven't continued to annually review their disability insurance to make sure that they're covered. So I would encourage if you, if that's you and you have uh, really increased your income and you haven't increased your disability coverage to match, you really need to have a conversation with Ross and let him uh, true that up for you. Thanks, Forrest. So, you know, this is what year did the elbow issues and the snowball where, you know, this was like, what year did the actual elbow issue happen? Like, oh, so- ish yeah, no, uh, 2011. It's been, 2011. It's been a okay. decade. Okay. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been a decade. So uh, at that point, I was not seeing patients. I was not able to do dentistry anymore. So I really, it was in a way, you know, anytime you have something like really awful happen in your life, there's typically sometimes a blessing and a curse that kind of comes through that. So I wanted to really kind of focus on the blessing. So for me, it was you know, having the ability to focus on running the practice. And so, uh, you know, during that time, so for five years, I continued to to manage the practice until we sold, I think it was 2015 or 2016 when we ended up, we, we ended up selling all three practices to a private equity group. And um, that time that I had to focus on the business, I mean, that was that was part of a blessing. I couldn't have grown it if I was, you know, in the practice working every day. So it gave me the chance to kind of step back and uh, and really focus on the business too. Ultimately, you know, we could put ourselves in a position where we could sell that, and I could I could totally step step away. So, you know, had the ability, relatively young age, to you know, I tell you know, that's part of what we do with a lot of our clients now is is help them scale their businesses and help them exit, and you know, help them with investments and taxes, uh, uh, you know, to kind of go through that process. So I had lived that, and I had the you know, I guess the street. Uh, credibility to go along with that. So, you know, having gone through it, you know, gave me a lot of insight to to help our clients kind of go through that process now. So, and we've been, we've had over a dozen clients that we've helped go through that process. So, you know, we've really gotten, you know, really, really good at that over that time. When you step back, even though it wasn't, obviously you were already managing the practice, but then obviously life hits you in the face. So you got to manage it even more. How much were you able to grow the business being forced to get out of the chair and be the CEO, how much were you able to grow it that way? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, the interesting thing about that is, uh, you know, I think, you know, a lot of dentists and doctors too. Uh, typically, there's some ego there that they feel like, you know, hey, I'm I'm pretty good, and you know, my patients love me, and you know, it's going to be hard to find you know somebody else who can do what what I do. 
And, um, you know, in a way that's true, but I was surprised that focusing on the business, the business continued to grow without me producing and without me, you know, taking care of patients. So, you know, I think that's just really a testimony to really building a good team. And we had some great, incredible dentists that worked for us and just a really great team. And I'm, you know, forever grateful for, you know, the team that we put together, all the, the hygienists and the assistants and the front desk and the doctors that, that worked for uh, our company during that time. I mean, we really had, we really built something special. So, what was the motivating factor to sell it? Were you like, you know, this has been a good run. I'd like to transition to a different phase of my life. Was it, this was on the front end of private equity going nuts over dental practices? Yeah. This is, was it like, okay, these guys are going to pay me an insane number for this. I'm crazy not to do this. What was the motivating factor? So good question. You know, it, and I think everybody needs to ask themselves this, if not annually, if quarterly, or maybe even daily, but how much do you enjoy what you're going to do today? And, you know, for me during that time, and I tell a lot of doctors and dentists this, and so I'll repeat it here because I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's a good point. It seems like there's a lot of doctors and dentists that think that the patient care is drudgery and that they get, a lot of them get burned out on actually doing the work. And a lot of them think, and there's a lot of coaching programs out there that you really say, oh yeah. And I push it a little bit too, for a little bit different reason, but you know, you can be the executive and not do the, the dentistry part of it. And so there's a lot of people out there that, you know, if they get burned out, they're like, you know, I don't really want to do the clinical aspect anymore. I just want to, I want to be the CEO. So, you know, I was kind of forced into that position. And one of the things that I learned was that the joy of being a dentist is really about the patient care. That was what really kind of fulfilled me was taking, and I did it for almost 20 years. So I got to see, you know, multiple generations come through there. I got to see young kids grow up and go to college and, you know, get a job and get married. And, you know, that, I mean, that's special to be able to, you know, to, you know, to take care of that and just that relationship and, you know, having people trust you with something that's very intimate, you know, and there's a lot of choices that they can make, but they chose to see us. And so that was the fulfilling part. And so going, moving really to the executive side, I wasn't interacting with the patients. And so that part of it, you know, I had to, on the HR side, we, you know, we were hiring doctors, we were hiring front desk and hygienists and team. Sometimes you had to fire, you know, you had to constantly work on keeping the team motivated. You had to do the marketing, you have to do the accounting, all of these like business operations. And I really got to a point where I just wasn't having fun. Yeah, it wasn't, it's not near as sexy when you're doing the uh, stuff behind the scenes, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the money was good, but I kind of got to a point where I was like, you know, once it became really clear that you're you're not going back to practice in dentistry, what do you, you know, is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? And so that was for me, that was an easy, like, I'm not having that much fun. I mean, you know, I could have been like, you know, I could go out and buy 10 practices or 20 practices or, you know, go out and buy a whole bunch of practices. But I was like, you know, it's pretty complex at three and going to 10 is just going to make, <laughs> I think I've, I just felt like, you know, I'm going to be more miserable doing that. And for me, it was just, it was the right time to exit and let somebody else, you know, try to work on taking it to the next level. And I wanted to do something else. So, you know, I think for a lot of our guys, we have a discussion, you know, going through that first exit is amazing. So, so for a lot of our guys, we have, we have a lot of clients that are, 
that are fairly young in their 40s and 50s that actually have an opportunity just because of the you know the crazy amount of private equity dollars that are coming into the uh, the dental space right now. So a lot of them have a, a you know an opportunity to take a first exit, and then they get to ask themselves this question, which is you know you know such a small percentage of entrepreneurs get to ask themselves this question is you know I've got money. And I've got time and, you know, who do I want to help and what do I want to do and what kind of impact do I want to make? You know, who, you know, what kind of purpose, you know, you know, why do I want to do, you know, these things going forward and who do I want to really uh, make an impact for? So kind of once I went through that process, I mean, I got really excited about, you know, going to the next level and being able to really have a, a major impact on, on our clients. And so, you know, a lot of, um, really felt like I've made a big difference in the lives of my patients when I was practicing dentistry. But I feel like our our purpose and our why is so much bigger now where we're making some multi-generational impact on our clients now where, I mean, we're making some big moves for them. And, I, and, and we just get to see that on just kind of an accelerated timeline where generationally changing their future. And so, you know, for us, that's really rewarding where we get to have that kind of impact other than, you know, it was, it was great when you get to do a veneer case or get to full mouth reconstruction and somebody's, you know, you restore their function and you restore their aesthetics and they're really happy and you know, they're hugging your neck. I mean, that that's great. Uh, but, you know, getting to transform somebody's future and then in the generations following that, it just is, uh, you know, it's just really pretty phenomenal. So you sell your practice, and that's about the time you and I met, and you're pivoting to your next move. You're you always have been very forward-thinking financially, always been very financially minded and very astute financially. So you start the high speed alliance kind of uh, as a leap of faith. And I was I was there when you started it, and I, I remember I remember what that was like. And uh, compared to where it is now, it's grown leaps and leaps and bounds. So talk about, because it's a little bit different animal than, you know, what I do or or what some of the advisors you dealt with before without going into too many details because um, compliance. Just talk a little bit about, um, you know, the transition from Forrest Bryant, the dentist, to Forrest Bryant, the uh, investment advisor. And, and, and then we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, on the compliance standpoint, uh, we are a registered investment advisor. We're FINRA registered. So we're certainly in a very highly compliant ocean, I guess, uh, same as you are. And um, I guess you got to put that out there. And then I guess we could just and, and, look, and a little disclaimer. Gonna, we're not going to talk about any specific investments no, or anything no, like that. But like, no so, specific what? investment. And also, I always also say this. So, uh, if you're listening and you're not one of my clients, do make sure you have your advisor who you trust with your your money and your finances and your future. So uh, don't take anything I said here today uh, <laughs> and go make any changes without running it. This by is your- all for educational purposes. There's there's no advice being given. So, but but so you were like you've seen a lot and yeah. you were you were real successful. You said, all right, you know what. I think I can build a better mousetrap. Let me go do this. Is that kind of what happened? Yeah. So, uh, so I was fortunate enough to have uh, my own capital to look at investments, and I'd always been drawn to alternative investments. We'd always done a lot of real estate, and we'd always looked at you know different types of 
operating businesses and other other types of uh, investments that you could look into. And um, I really, I did a lot of research on multi-generational wealthy families. Uh, I'll use the term family offices. So, you know, when we use that term, if we think about the Rockefellers or the Vanderbilts or the Carnegie's, the Hiltons, or, you know, some of these multi-generational families and, you know, really did a lot of studying. Not really, it, you know, in, at the beginning, it was for personal benefit. I wanted to know because I wanted to continue to grow my wealth and I wanted to ultimately help our clients, but I was trying to learn, you know, what can I learn from these families who've been doing this for a long time, you know, and also, you know, how can I avoid, you know, some of the pitfalls there, like the, uh, the shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves mantra where wealth is lost in multiple generations. So, you know, I was trying to learn what family offices do. And so I really realized that there was this really big gap. If you look at family offices, and I'll define that as usually a family that's over $100 million to up to multiple billion dollars. If you're in that family office space, you're not going to, you know, if you've got 500 million, you probably love a guy like Ross, but you're probably not going to go to Ross and say, hey, Ross, you know, here's 100 million bucks. Will you take care of this for me? That's typically not the way that family offices operate. So typically what they'll do, if you've got that much money, you're going to go hire your own Ross. You're going to have a chief investment officer that works for you. You're going to have some analysts, some some economists. You're going to have your own CPA. You're going to have your own CEO. You're actually, you're going to build a business around managing that wealth. So, uh, and they may have, you know, if you've got a hundred million, $500 million, you may, I mean, building a business like that probably might have an overhead, you know, they might spend, a million dollars a year on overhead just to manage that money. And so I knew there was a lot there to learn. And so I looked at, okay, so, you know, this is what what I want. This is what my clients want. And so on the other side, we've got, you know, our clients that, you know, our typical client is usually anywhere between maybe a $1 million in net worth up to probably a $20 million uh, net worth. So that's kind of the, the, the realm of who we work with. And so, you know, I realized that those, you know, those services and those investment opportunities, there was no link between them. These guys needed the types of investments that this group was doing, the family offices are doing here. They need access to this type of research. They need access to these types of investments. They need these uh, resources. They need this mindset, these strategies, but it it just doesn't exist. And so High Speed Alliance was really my effort to try to connect this together to really what we call it. We call it a multifamily office that serves and caters to U.S. doctors and dentists. So that's really what we try to do. So we provide we bridge the gap between what the family offices are doing and what our clients are doing that are under the, you know, typically under the $20 million. So, network so, in, so instead of the guy who makes, who's worth $200 million, who has a family office or, or like the Gates or someone like that, or, you know, you said, well, there's this unserved gap of people kind of, uh, you know, people in the 10, you've gone taken down all the way to a million, but, but we know for a fact, the data says, kind of the 10 to 50 million is, is an underserved uh, net worth gap for a handful of reasons. And you're like, okay, let me create something that's the best of both worlds. So instead of having, these people don't have enough money to create their own family office. So I'm going to create a family office that serves these 80 families 
and growing to allow and gives them access to these different things because you have a knack for this. You are uh, you like the alternative investments, which you know obviously you know many times there's limitations on net worth, those types of things. And obviously, it's proven successful for you because in four years you've gone from going from zero to eighty clients, which is fantastic. So, what would you like? What kind of advice would you give to someone? I'm going to ask you two different pieces of advice. First advice is someone listening who's never met you, never met me, and they're a successful dentist. And then the second one is a fresh graduate from dental school. What advice would you give to both of them? Probably not that dissimilar. I, you know, one of the things that I say a lot is uh, invest early and invest often. So even if you are right out of school, you guys are probably, it's not new now, but back in the day, there was a big controversy about, you know, dentists coming out or doctors like with student debt. And, you know, what, what's the best thing to do? Should you, should you pay down your student debt and then start investing or should you start investing early? And so, you know, the math doesn't lie. And so, you know, I'm a really, really big fan of using smart leverage. So, you know, using that low interest rate for good debt, education debt, I consider good debt. You invested in yourself. Anything you can do to invest in yourself is is good debt. So, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, getting an education or getting a coaching program or a consulting program, anything that you can do to make yourself better and to get there faster is really good. So, you know, you can do that, but you got to start investing early. So get with somebody like Ross and, uh, you know, start off Roth IRA is in one of the best places where you can start off if you're under the income limit to start cranking in money. That's $6,000 a year that you can get into your Roth IRA. I'd say that's really huge. Either one, you got to start investing early. And, you know, this is one thing that, you know, I love to talk about. Most dentists, their eyes roll back in their head when you start talking about life insurance, but permanent life insurance uh, starting very, very early is something that we see a lot of our clients that haven't done it and they get, and rightly so, there's a lot of people that do abuse it in the medical and dental space. Ross is not one of those guys. So totally trust Ross with our clients futures. But if you were young and even if you're old, it just costs more. But uh, if you've got time on your side, absolutely get invested in permanent life insurance. Your cost of insurance is much lower when you're younger. And you also have the benefit of multiple, multiple decades of allowing that to compound and take advantage of uh, the, you know, the beautiful dividends that uh, the permanent life insurance uh, companies are making. And, um, you know, the big mutual companies, uh, mutual life insurance companies like Ross represents, you know, have been paying paying dividends for over 150 years. So, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. And I, I, that's, I think that is a, uh, that's a missing piece for a lot of clients. And we see the benefit of, you know, clients that have been doing that for a, a long period of time. And you can be conservative with your investments uh, when you look at, a, you know, a, a kind of a, a broad spectrum. And that's, that's one piece. And we consider that an asset on your book, uh, that cash value that just pops up every single month that just goes up and that can give you some ability to leverage that later on in order to do some investing as well. So uh, when that's getting into kind of the, the 201 or the 301 course, but you know, we can go there if you want to. <laughs> So almost out of time here. So I have two last questions for you. Do you have a good book recommendation? Anything you read recently? Oh, gosh. You know, I think one thing for entrepreneurs, this is probably out there, but Traction by Gino Wickman. I mean, if you're... Uh, that's it's an really, EOS book. Yep. That's a really good one for any entrepreneur out there. Um, that's a good one. I, I think 
readers are leaders. And, you know, I think you guys can't read enough. Uh, you know, listen to some great podcasts like Ross's. Uh, you know, I'd welcome, you know, we do live events, Ross. So, you know, uh, if clients want to get in touch with us, uh, I'd say, you know, go through Ross and he can he can make a connection, you know, well, if you're a doctor or dentist and then um, your business owner, we'd love to love to help you. Well, that's actually my last question is if, if people want to connect with you, how do they connect with you? Our website is highspeedalliance.com. So you can go on there and I think we've got a uh, connect with us uh, place on there. So uh, we do live events quarterly. Ross is usually there. If you want to hang out with both of us, uh, you know, come see us. But highspeedalliance.com is uh, the best place to, uh, to do that. Well, fantastic. Well, Forrest, I really appreciate your time today. For, for your listeners, this has been Forrest Bryant with the High Speed Alliance. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brand. Thanks again. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032. 2021 1195.35. That last part can also say 2021 1195.35. Expiration, April 2023. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York, PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. 2021126306. Expiration 0923. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>